Father in heaven, we have sought out your throne this morning to worship. Through song, through giving, and now, Lord, through the reading, through the teaching, through the proclamation of your holy word. Lord, would you please speak to us? Father, I I know that I stand behind this pulpit as a, a weak and frail sinner. God, would you forgive me? Would you forgive us? Would you wash our feet? Would you speak to us this morning that we might hear by the power of your Holy Spirit from your perfect Word? Lord, we ask that you would use your Word to grow us, to convict us, to change us, to comfort and strengthen. We ask these things as humbly as we know how. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, we're going to spend the next couple weeks, maybe three weeks, in a little book that's nestled towards the end of the New Testament called Philemon. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to take and turn with me to the book of Philemon. You'll find in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you'll go to Acts and Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We move into my favorite little acronym, the General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians. Then you get to all the T's. Every book for a while there starts with T. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and then Titus. And then right there on the doorstep to the book of Hebrews, you find the tiny letter of Philemon. So I encourage you to turn with me to this small letter that has such important impact for the gospel message. I hope that you're taking and turning in your own Bible. If you're not, feel free to use a phone or a tablet. You can borrow one of the Bibles that's in the back of the pew right there in front of you. If you don't have a Bible to keep as your own, please take one of those with you as our gift To you, I encourage you, we will replace those, and and we would much rather you have one at home if you do not. However you're accessing the Word of the Lord, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's Holy Word? This entire letter is 25 verses long. We'll be reading the letter in its entirety. I'll read for us. When I've completed verse 25, I'll say this is the Word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Let's look together now at the book of Philemon, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. 
whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we approach this very important but very small letter, I would really like for us to just take a trip together in our minds and in our imaginations, to the situation and see what is happening. I would love for us to step into the white spaces of the text between the actual printed words. So I'd like for you to go with me, if you will, to the ancient times of Rome. And the first thing I want us to talk about is the mail system there. Have any of you ever spent a lot of time thinking about how the mail used to run in the Roman Empire? I I doubt that you have. Um, because it's not something that people commonly think about. And not only that, but you probably haven't spent time thinking about it because they didn't have a mail system. They did not have the United Roman Postal Service. That did not exist. The way that mail was transmitted in this culture in which we're reading this letter, a lot of mail was actually carried by the Roman army. Most of the mail was dispatches. These were things of this legion needs to move from this place to that place. This platoon, this battalion has served well here and needs to move there. This other enemy is, is moving into position and so we need to reposition our troops or our, 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 our Artillery. Wow, that's hard to say back to back. Our artillery. There we go. These were military instructions and dispatches that were sent out, often carried with soldiers. But if you wanted to send a letter to someone, then, well, you you had to figure out a different way. There were a lot of merchants who would have a little side hustle, a, a very legitimate business of, I am going to such and such a town to sell goods and buy goods. And if you have mail that you would like for me to carry for a nominal fee, I'd be glad to carry it for you. 
Well, you never really knew if the merchant just took your money and threw away your letter somewhere in the sea. You hoped for the best, but you really didn't get much confirmation. Have you ever sent an email or a text message these days and you don't know if the other person got it? You, you shoot that email or that text and you're, you're looking for that thumbs up. I am the king of the thumbs up emoji. If you get a thumbs up emoji from me, it can mean a whole host of things, but at least it means, you know, I got it. Sometimes I I, I slip through the cracks and I don't send that, but man, it drives me crazy when I send an email or something to somebody else and they don't just send back a K, like just a letter. If you could put one letter back to let me know you've received my correspondence, can you imagine living in a world where that's just not possible? You give your letter to a merchant, you hope it arrives. Maybe they send you a letter back, maybe not. You just send the message hoping for the best. Even the most reliable means of delivering a letter to somebody is still not 100% guaranteed. And often you would not get confirmation that that text message had been read or, or that that email had been received. A lot of times if you had a personal friend who was already going on a trip, you could give your letter or your correspondence to them and they would take it for you. And that may seem insignificant, but... The New Testament is filled with unsung heroes who delivered letters from Peter, from Paul, from James. People like Stephanus, Fortunatus, Aristarchus. These people who they would be given letters by Paul and they would take extreme care in delivering those letters. And then those letters would be passed around to sister churches. And these heroes preserved and protected these letters so that we have the New Testament that we have today. Without these letter deliverers, we would not have the same New Testament that we read each and every week. Well, an interesting scenario happens. This letter that we've read was actually delivered by someone who it was about. Philemon is a letter to a very wealthy man who lives in Colossae. And somehow or another, Philemon and Paul run into one another. I don't know when they met. We're not sure how they came to know each other. At this point, Paul had not yet been to Colossae. Maybe they met in Ephesus. Ephesus was only about a 100 miles away from Colossae. One way or another, Paul meets Philemon. And he and Philemon get into a religious discussion because, well, it's Paul. And if you sit down and talk with Paul for any length of time, you're going to hear the gospel two or three times over, probably. And so Philemon believes in the gospel. And we know that Philemon is probably a very wealthy man because he is so captivated by the gospel that he goes and either allows a church to meet in his home or goes and plants a church there in his home in Colossae. When the letter to Colossians is written and sent to the churches in Colossae, that letter goes to Philemon and his house. And Philemon is actively involved in the work of the Lord. Well, as time passes, Paul ends up in prison in Rome. He is under house arrest. And so what that means is there's a Roman guard chained to him 24-7-365. And there's no way for him to leave and go get what he needs. He needs people to help him as he is under arrest. And from this imprisonment, he writes many letters, but there was a chance meeting That was a divine appointment. If you've been walking with the Lord any amount of time, you know, as I know, that there's no such thing as a coincidence, right? Everything that happens in our life, for the most part, is by divine appointment from the Lord. And the same leader in the church that Philemon met, maybe somewhere in the region of Colossae, met this man named Onesimus, 
who delivered this letter to Philemon. Onesimus is an interesting character. What we can gather is that he was a man who desired more than what he had. He was always ambitious, seeking to overdo that word that's used to describe him, bondservant. There's many different types of slavery in the Bible. We cannot always immediately go to when someone is a slave that it's the same type of slavery that existed in the United States in the 19th century. This is a different type of slavery in this particular instance. And what probably happened with Onesimus is that he worked very hard and overshot and he tried to expand his business or his venture, however, too vast and too broad. And it all came collapsing down on him and he had to file for bankruptcy. And some of the people that he borrowed money from demanded the money from him. And the only way for him to make things right and to not be executed or sent to prison was to become a bond servant. But a bond servant was different than like a house slave, if you'll bear with me through that term. A bondservant was given a lot of leeway and a lot of freedom, and they were in the process of working towards their own personal freedom. If you were to go to a restaurant and not be able to pay, you know, we used to have the old analogy, you could wash dishes until you paid off your meal. Most restaurants these days, you'd be washing dishes for quite a while because uh, it's gotten really expensive to eat out. I don't know if you all have noticed that. It is a, a little bit more pricey. You'd be washing a lot of dishes Well, that's what Onesimus is essentially doing. He has sold himself into slavery and is working his way back out of slavery. But at some point, Philemon goes on some sort of a trip or is away from the house for some reason or another. Or maybe it's in the still darkness of the night. But Onesimus probably breaks into the house and steals everything of value from the house and absconds away to get as far from this slavery as possible. It's a 1,500-mile journey with no car. He goes from Colossae, 1,500 miles to Rome. The only way for Onesimus, a slave, a bondservant, to make that trip is if he stole the means to pay for the trip. And he must have stolen quite a bit. And so he picks Rome because there's anonymity in Rome. Rome's the big city. If you want to disappear these days, you go to New York, right? You go to New York City and nobody will know who you are and you can create a whole new life for yourself. And that's what Onesimus tries to do here. He says, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go to the big city of Rome. And he, he probably lives a life for a few weeks or a few months or for some amount of time that closely resembles the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. He has his way with women. He has his way with drink and food and excess. And somewhere along the way, maybe maybe he was at a chariot race. I, I don't know. But someone he met said, you know, Onesimus, there's this really interesting guy that I met the other day. His name's Paul. And I really think that you ought to meet him. And so there's an arrangement made. And Onesimus comes in contact with Paul, even as he is under house arrest. And Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus. And Onesimus believes in the gospel. At the base level of this letter, we have a man who is very wealthy and in high society. And we have a man who sold himself into slavery because he was bankrupt. And the gospel is sufficient for both men. The gospel is enough 
for Philemon and he takes the gospel and does everything that he can with it with the means that have been entrusted to him. He allows for a church to meet in his home and he is using his wealth to advance the kingdom of God. Onesimus, he begins to believe and trust in the gospel and he becomes a bondservant willingly to Paul. So imagine, if you will, Paul chained to this Roman soldier. And when he runs out of ink or quill or parchment to write these letters, he looks at Onesimus and says, Onesimus, can you run down to the market, my son, and help Paul out and get Uncle Paul uh, a little more ink or something to eat or, or maybe an apple? And so this relationship develops. And what we saw even here in the letter is that Paul refers to Onesimus as his own son. Not biologically, but they had developed a father and son relationship. I don't know about you, but there have been many men in my life who have been supplements to my biological father, who have been a father to me, even though they were not biologically my father. Such is the case spiritually and emotionally with Paul and Onesimus. And I I just imagine this conversation one day, right? Onesimus is there and he's convicted because he really believes in the gospel and the gospel is really changing his heart and his life. And as he's serving Paul, he comes up to Paul one day and he goes, Paul, man, I need to talk to you about something. And Paul goes, well, sure, son, what what do you need to talk to me about? Onesimus says, well, you know, I was a bond servant, right? Yeah, yeah. You you told me about being a bond servant. Well, I, I was a bond servant in Colossae. Oh, I, I know of Colossae. I have a lot of good friends in Colossae. That, how wonderful. That's just great that you were serving in Colossae. I wonder if we know some of the same people. Well, I, I don't know about that, Paul, but I, I do know that it costs a lot of money to get here to Rome. Yeah, Nessimus, you're, you're right. It does. It's quite a trip to make it all the way over here. How did you manage to pay your way here, Onesimus? Well, Paul, I... If I'm being honest, I robbed my master blind, all right? I just took everything that he had. I took everything that was valuable, and I just ran off in the night. Oh, Onesimus. Brother, that's horrible. What was your master's name? It was a very good man by the name of Philemon. What? No, Philemon? Onesimus, you're never going to believe this, but I know Philemon. He's a close personal friend of mine. He and I worked together to plant a church there that meets in his house. And you were serving in Philemon's house? Yeah, Paul, I was. Philemon's a brother, Onesimus. He believes in Jesus. I know. Onesimus, you've got to make this right. I know, Paul. I know. That's why I'm talking to you about it now. But you know the penalty, Paul. If I go back and, and I present myself to Philemon, he has every right and authority to kill me on the spot, to have the Roman authorities arrest me and crucify me. And man, I love Jesus and I'm all about the gospel and I want to make this right. But I don't know if that's worth being crucified over just yet, Paul. I'm not sure. I, I'm scared. I don't want to go back there, but I, I know it's what I have to do. And so Paul thinks for a minute. He says, all right, all right, Onesimus, I've got it. Here's what we'll do. I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to write a letter to Philemon. And I want you to carry this letter and go back and see him. And so Onesimus says, yes, sir. I will. 
You understand? I, yes, sir. I will. So Paul writes a letter and he gives it to Philemon. And you have got to be kidding if you think for just one second Philemon didn't put that thing in a lockbox and like shackle it to his wrist. This is his only ticket from getting out of immediate crucifixion. So I don't know how he safely carried the letter, but I mean, imagine the old spy movies where there's a briefcase and you're handcuffed to the briefcase. That's the security with which Onesimus is guarding this precious letter that holds the balance of his life in it. And for 1,500 miles, he has to think, what is Philemon going to say? Imagine with me, if you will, now you're Philemon. You got a nice house. It was very common for people to sit on their roof. They had a flat roof. And so there's Philemon up on the roof enjoying his breakfast. Nice morning breeze blowing through. And he sees off out in the distance. He goes, hey, guys, is it just me or does that look like Onesimus out there? Well, you, you remember Onesimus kind of had that funky way of walking. He, he's kind of got that Onesimus walk going up. But no, that, that can't be Onesimus. That'd be crazy. Why would he ever come back here? I'll be doggone. That is Onesimus. All right, guys, wrap up breakfast. We'll have to eat later. I'm going down to meet him. And so they go down to the front of the house and Onesimus approaches Philemon. And Philemon says, you got a lot of nerve coming back to this house. Philemon, I know, I know. But before you do anything, please, please, I have a letter for you. Please just Read the letter. I won't go anywhere. I'll wait right here. You just promise to read that letter. Philemon's a good Christian man. So with probably one eye on the letter and one eye on Philemon, I mean on Onesimus, to make sure he doesn't run away, Philemon reads the letter. Imagine it going something kind of like this. Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ. Paul. Onesimus, you've met Paul? Yeah, it's, it's crazy, but just, just keep reading. A prisoner for Christ Jesus. Is Paul in prison again? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's there in Rome. He's arrested. And Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, Philemon, our, our beloved fellow worker. And Aphia, our sister. Aphia is commonly thought to be Philemon's wife. And so maybe when he hits that point in the letter, he turns and hollers back towards the house. Aphia, honey, we've got a letter from Paul. He's addressed it to you as well. Come, come on down. Come on down. And so Aphia comes down to stand with her husband. And when she sees Onesimus, the rage boils within her. How dare you show my mother's brooch? You stole it. It's been in our family for generations. And you show your face. And Philemon says, honey, honey, for the moment, we have to restrain ourselves because there's a letter from Paul. Let's read the letter first. And Archippus, our fellow soldier, it's likely that little Archie's probably their son. And the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Isn't that nice? (laughs) Man, to think that Paul thinks kindly of me. Wow. And now as as he continues down, he he says in verse 10, "I, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Huh. 
So Paul's putting in a good word for you there, Onesimus. Well, that's that's nice. That's nice of Paul to do. But I don't know that Paul knows what you've done. And I'm not a big fan of these quick, easy conversions. And so until I know that Paul knows what you've done, I'm not buying it. Formerly, he was useless to you. Yeah, talk about that. Couldn't get anything done around here. Lazy, good-for-nothing bondservant. Then stole everything I had and ran off in the night. It's a wonderful play on words because the word Onesimus means useful. So the man's name literally is useful. Formerly, he was not Onesimus to you. But now, now that he's believing in the gospel, he is Onesimus to you. Hmm. He's living up to his name now. Okay. I'm sending him back to you. Okay. You're sending him here. Sending my very heart. He would have been glad to keep you. Okay. Uh. Then you move down to verse 17. If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, and he has, or owes you anything, and he does, charge it. To my account, I, Paul, write this with my very own hand. Mm. So Paul knows how much you owe me. And he's willing to guarantee your debt to me. Well, Onesimus, as hard as this is to stomach and swallow, that's fine. I trust Paul and I'll count your debt on his account. We won't call the Roman authorities. I won't have you crucified. Go into the slaves' quarters and and make yourself a place to sleep. And you can come back into this household. I imagine at that point, maybe Aphia, because wives are always good at these kind of things, saying to Philemon, Now, um, darling, I I don't know that um, Onesimus is supposed to go uh, to the slave quarters. I don't don't think that he's supposed to go to stay with the bond servants. Well, what do you mean, Afia? I mean, what are you talking about? It it says to forgive him and count everything to Paul. Yeah, but did did you skip over those words just just before that? Did Did you catch what Paul wrote? If you consider me your partner, Paul says to receive Onesimus as you would receive Paul. I'm just going to ask Philemon, but... Honey, if Paul came to visit you, would, would you send him to stay with the other slaves and servants? Of course not, Afia. You, how ridiculous of you to suggest the same. I, I know. I'm, I'm, I hear you. But if we're supposed to receive him as we would receive Paul, I don't think that we're supposed to send him to be a slave anymore. It says don't count him as a bond servant, but as a beloved brother. I think we've got to give him the guest room. Uh. Can you imagine that conversation? You've been a slave in this household. Go get my food. Go fix my drink. Go plow and work in the fields. Go clean the house. Go oversee the cattle. Go oversee that things are ready for church next Sunday. And now the master of the house is showing you to the best Choice guest room in the house as you walk to that room. Maybe Afia is looking at you and says, well, 
Onesimus, <laughs> I never in all my life thought I'd ask you this question, but uh, are you hungry? Is there, is there anything that, that you'd like to eat? And Onesimus, I can imagine looking back at her going, <laughs> I'm as shocked as you are, Afia, but I've always wanted to say this. I've just heard rave reviews of your lamb stew. Would it be too much trouble for you to make me some? And so Afia goes downstairs to make him some stew. Because he's supposed to be received as Paul would be received. You see, this letter teaches us the heart of the gospel, which is reconciliation. And it doesn't matter how wealthy or how poor, how white, how black, how Hispanic, how Asian, how much of whatever ethnicity we are. The gospel and reconciliation is available for everyone. And what happens here with Philemon and Onesimus is what happens with Jesus. There's two steps in the process. And before we get to those two steps, I want to just give you the assurance that we know that this happened. We know that Philemon accepted Onesimus because if he had not, the letter would not have been kept. All right. Onesimus or Tychicus comes back. Remember Tychicus we read at the very end of the letter. He's helping for this letter to be delivered. And Paul also says, I'm confident in your obedience. And I feel like when I get out of this Roman jail, I'm coming to see you. And so Paul says, I expect you to do the right thing. And if you don't, When I get there, I'll know. So the letter's kept because Philemon responds with gospel reconciliation. But there's there's two steps to that. The first step is what Paul says. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Folks, is it not amazing that Jesus pays a debt that we cannot pay? That there is a debt because we are all thieves. We are all sinners. We have all failed and fallen miserably short of God's standard of perfection and glory. And somehow, some way, in God's great grace and mercy, there are no better and worse people. We're all worse and we all have unimaginable debt and Christ pays it for us. It's a debt he didn't owe and it's a debt we could not pay. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody had to co-sign for you? My cousins have been in a situation like that. My dad was gracious enough to co-sign for some cousins. And I remember when my dad explained that to me. I said, Dad, what does that mean? Like, you're, you're on this loan with them. Your name is on all the official documentation. What happens if they don't pay? Well, Nathan, if they don't pay, then they'll have the right to come and seize our house as collateral to pay that debt. Are you crazy? We live here. Like, this is our house. And you just, you're just gonna sign it away. Like, well, Nathan, I, I trust them to pay. And if they don't, their debt will be my debt. And I'll have to make amends. Isn't it amazing what Jesus does for us? Isn't it amazing that we are betrayers? We are treacherous. We are evil. We stab Christ in the back over and over again. And he says, I'll still pay your debt. The gospel is about us being out of balance and Christ reconciling it. 
But then we don't go and stay in the slave quarters. He doesn't say, charge the debt to my account. Welcome back to the household. You're once again a slave in this household. Go stay with the other slaves. But he receives Onesimus as he would receive Paul. I remember when I got engaged to Jessica, my relationship to her parents changed so drastically. You have to understand, my in-laws, Rick and Tracy Penny, are some of the most generous and kind people you will ever meet. Genuinely. And if I were a stranger and I walked up to their door and I knocked on their door and I said, I'm homeless and I'm desperate for something to drink, I'm about to die of thirst. I guarantee you they would be kind enough in Christ to bring me a glass of water. They'd probably offer to feed me. May even... Be willing to give me a ride somewhere to help me along my way. But you see, the, the relationship changed drastically when Jessica became my wife. These are now my in-laws. And the way that they have treated me for almost 11 years in Jessica and I's marriage has been the way that they treat Jessica. When Christmas rolls around, I always expected to get a lesser gift because I'm a son-in-law. I'm, I'm not their biological son. And if I were, it would be very, very weird. So it's a good thing that I'm not. But maybe you felt the same thing. Maybe you felt that feeling of, well, they're not going to treat me the same way that they treat their daughter. They're not going to treat me the same way that they treat their spouse because my spouse is their blood and I'm just married in. And every Christmas, year after year, because of my wife, my in-laws have loved me and the gifts have been equal. And every time I go to Birmingham, if I need a place to stay, whether my wife's with me or not, I have a place to stay and they'll make any accommodation for me that I require. They have a fridge that my father-in-law, I mean, it's like a vending machine. I have no idea how he keeps it this jam-packed. But he says every time I come, Nathan, you don't have to ask for drinks. This is Just treat it like your house. Go get whatever you want out of the fridge. If it's the last of something, you you don't even have to check up and go, Hey, is anybody going to eat that last piece of pizza? You just go eat it, man. That's just your home. Just be at home. You see, I receive all the privileges and all the rights and all the blessings of being a son. But it's not on my own merit. It's not because I'm really nice or I'm a good guy. It's because of my wife. So it's not just that Jesus pays our debt that we can't pay. It's not just that he reconciles us to God, but he elevates us. And God the Father looks at us and treats us the way that he sees his perfect son. Romans will tell us, Ephesians will tell us, Paul will tell us over and over and over again that we are co-heirs with Christ, adopted as sons with all the rights, with all the benefits, not because we're good, not because we are some wonderful group of people, but because God is that gracious and he loves Jesus, his son, that much that he dotes upon us the way that he would dote upon his own son. This is the message of the book of Philemon. Is that there is forgiveness available for even those who are in the most radical and ridiculous amounts of debt. There is no debt that Christ's blood cannot cover. 
There is no sin that is too gross for God's grace. The time that I want for us to spend in this book for the next this week and maybe two more. I wanted today for us to look and and understand the story and the primary purpose of the book in explaining the gospel and how we are reconciled to the father. But there's other things we'll dive into in the weeks to come. How we are reconciled to one another because of how God has reconciled us to himself. This morning, I want you to know, in preparing for this sermon, I really didn't want Philemon to be a book in the Bible. It's been an interesting couple of weeks. There's been a lot of debt that has accrued that I really hadn't wanted to forgive. I've really been frustrated about. And personally, I've really struggled with. And we were done with Galatians, and I said, Lord, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? And as I searched and I prayed, the Lord kept bringing me back to Philemon. Because no matter what's happened in our lives, we've been forgiven so much more. So much more than we could ever imagine. I've been forgiven of betrayals and treasons and backstabbings that are far worse than I've ever experienced in my life. Because my Lord Jesus forgave me. And He paid my debt. I had a lot of red in my ledger. And He covered it over. And then instead of just bringing me in the house and treating me like a slave, He's elevated me to the position of a son. The last position that I deserve. To stand before Him. And because of Christ, Him to say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Because I know that there have been so many times in my life I've been neither good nor faithful. And yet, because Christ is good and Christ is faithful, I look forward to the day that I'll be welcomed home. And the same can be true for you. The same can be true for you today. What's your ledger look like? Do you have a debt that you just can't write off no matter what you do? There's a Savior who's willing to pay it all. Would you surrender to Him today and be welcomed into His family with all the rights and privileges of a child of the King? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you didn't just forgive our debt. Thank you, Lord, that you you count us as your sons, as your daughters, as your children. You adopt us into your family. Father, help us. Please, Lord. You have shown us such forgiveness and mercy. And Lord, we are not a forgiving and merciful people. Lord, even as we pray, the prayer that you taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, this morning I pray that if there are those who still have sin debt in their heart, that they would reach to you and allow you to pay that debt and welcome them into the family. 
But Father, also, if there are those of us here this morning that we couldn't pray that prayer honestly because we're begging you to forgive our debt, but we're not willing to forgive the debts of others. We're not willing to respond like Philemon responded in this passage. Lord, help us to be a forgiving, reconciling people. Help us to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. And Lord, for anyone who has never trusted in you and had their debts paid, would you move in their heart this morning? Would you move among us now that we might respond in obedience? We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ.